Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sometimes we get stuck. Maybe it's because we get too comfortable where we are. Or we're afraid of the future. Or perhaps we're having trouble moving away from the pain in our past. Throughout the Bible are numerous examples of God calling the people to go forward. Jesus leads us into a new future. As followers of Christ, we respond by going forward. Mark Trotter used to be the pastor at First Methodist Church in San Diego years ago now. He was a great preacher and I enjoyed listening to him. He was a big baseball fan. And he was a baseball fan because he said, baseball is a game of grace. What other sport do you know, he said, that you can come to the plate and fail two out of three times and still get paid millions of dollars? And I never really thought about it that way, but you truly fail more than you succeed and you get into the Hall of Fame. Well, Mark loved baseball. And he really cheered for the San Francisco Giants. And he enjoyed the player Bob Brindley. This is back in the 1980s. Bob Brindley was a successful player for the um, Giants. He sometimes would catch. Sometimes he played third base. When he finally ended his playing days, he would go on to become a, a coach there in Major League Baseball. Very successful. But one day, Mark Trotter decided, I want to go see Bob Brindley play. So he took a trip up to San Francisco, paid a little extra money for some good tickets, got right down behind the third base dugout, wanted to be up as close as he could to the field to see Bob. Well, sure enough, that day, Bob Brindley was playing third base, and the game started, and there was a shot right at Bob. He knelt down, and the ball went right between his legs. Big E goes up on the scoreboard, error. People kind of groaned. It was the very next inning. There was a shot off to his left. He moved to his left to get it. The ball took a bounce at the last moment, rolled up his arm, fell down and hit the ground. Another E goes up on the scoreboard. Air. People groaned again. It was a couple innings later. There was a pop-up right over his head, shallow left field. He turned around and ran looking over his head. And then he sort of stumbled, and the ball hit the palm of his glove and fell into the outfield. A big E goes up on the board. 
third time. Now people start to boo at what is happening. It was an inning later. There was a slow roller right in the infield. He had to charge the ball. Kneeling over, he had to barehand it and then throw under towards first base. He threw it in the stands. E goes up on the scoreboard. Now the people are really booing. And Bob Brinley had just set a major league record for four errors by a third baseman in one game. And you could see his face. I mean, he was so down, so discouraged. You could tell the pain. Came to the ninth inning. The Giants were down by two. And when it went to the bottom of the ninth inning, the first man got on. Then the second man got on. People got excited that maybe the Giants were going to rally. But the next batter popped out to the infield. Then the next batter struck out. And Mark Trotter said, you looked over at the batter's circle, and the next batter up was Bob Brindley. He said, it was just like a Hollywood movie. You're thinking, yes. And Bob comes to the plate, bottom of the ninth, two out, two men on. He digs in, and the pitcher throws. First pitch. Bob drives it into the center field stands. Home run. He's now rounding the bases. Everyone is jumping up and down and cheering. And he said, in one swing, he went from being goat to hero. And Mark said, as he was rounding the bases, I just kept thinking, Yogi Berra was right. It ain't over till it's over. And Mark would observe, all Bob Brindley needed was another chance. And that's where most of us are. We just need another chance. For the errors that we have made, we just need another chance. That's why this morning I want to continue on with the sermon series going forward. For as you and I are living in the light of Easter, as we're thinking about the good news of God's grace, what we're told is, you get another chance for all the errors that we have made, the mistakes, the failures. You get another chance. It's what we need to hear, but it's also what the disciples needed to hear. It's what we're reading about in our scripture lesson this morning. For you remember the disciples had come to Jerusalem and they had come with Jesus fully expecting to help raise an army overthrow the Roman government, establish the kingdom of David there in Jerusalem, and they had failed. It was the angel who said to the women, tell the disciples to go to the mountain in Galilee, which he's instructed you. And so this morning what we have is one of these post-resurrection appearances where the disciples have gone to this mountain in Galilee, and there Jesus appears. And Jesus has come to give them a vision about the future. To tell them that in spite of their errors, they get another chance. They would have a new vision. And this vision was going to change from let's go establish the kingdom of Israel to Jesus said, I want you to go change the world. 
to get a new vision, to get another chance. I want us to look at this scripture and think about what did Jesus have to put into place in these circumstances for the disciples to realize they really did get another chance. Three important things. One, Jesus was here to help them understand you are free. You are free from the traditions of the past. You are free from the old rules of the past. You are free from your mistakes of the past. You are free to choose what you want your future to look like. And sometimes we forget that. We do feel enslaved. We do feel stuck, trapped by the past and mistakes. The traditions or the old, the way it was. You have the freedom to choose. Now, I was reading about William Penn. I love history and I, I read an article about him and I found it so fascinating. I, I decided to do additional research and loved some of the things that I was learning. William Penn, back in the 1600s, was living in England and, and there he received a, um, a gift of land for a colony in the New World. And so William Penn came to the New World and established his colony and he called it Pennsylvania. And the fascinating thing about what he created was that it was going to be a, a colony of religious toleration. You see, back in those days, most people who were coming to the New World were coming because of a, a religious persecution or they wanted freedom to worship in the way they wanted to worship, but they then made everybody else worship the way they worshiped. And so you had the Calvinists, the Puritans, they tended to go to Massachusetts. The people who were Catholics tended to go to Maryland. And the people now who were Quakers, William Penn was a Quaker, very devout man, they were going to go to Pennsylvania, but William Penn wrote a Declaration of Rights in which he said, if you're Catholic, you can come. If you're Calvinist, you can come. If you're Presbyterian, you can come. Everyone is welcome to come to Pennsylvania and worship the way you want. That was so far ahead of, of his time and where the world would ultimately go. So he created this area. The other thing he did in 1701 in this Declaration of Rights is he said, you'll decide the law. You'll vote on the law. You'll get to decide what laws to make. And those are the laws that we will follow. Again, so far ahead of what other people were going to be doing. Is it any wonder that our Constitution would be written in Philadelphia? And that so much of what William Penn put down in 1701 would influence the Constitution that would come about in 1776. So, he's creating this incredible place. The people feel so blessed to live in Pennsylvania. In 1751, they decide to celebrate and honor this document of rights, and they ordered up a bell. And on the bell, they put an inscription of Scripture Leviticus 25.10 Proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all the inhabitants thereof. It became known as the Liberty Bell. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all the people thereof. It was in the early 1830s 
that the abolitionists were getting going and they decided to claim the Liberty Bell as the bell that they wanted to represent their movement. And so that became an iconic symbol for the abolitionist. It was the Liberty Bell that would be ringing on July the 4th, 1776, July the 8th, 1776, the first public reading of the Declaration of Independence. It would ring there in what was the courthouse, later to become known as Constitutional Hall. It would ring on George Washington's birthday in 1848, and that's when it cracked. It cracked ringing on George Washington's birthday, and they said it'll never ring again. After the Civil War, they took the Liberty Bell and they took it from Philadelphia on tour all the way to California and then all the way back, and it was estimated that 10 million people went out to see the Liberty Bell to touch it, to kiss it, to hug it, proclaim liberty throughout all the land for all the inhabitants thereof. There's something about this freedom. So much so that when the women's suffrage movement in the early 1900s came along and the fight for women's rights, they chose the Liberty Bell again as their iconic symbol for all the things they would produce. We just want to be treated equal. We want to be able to vote. And they used the Liberty Bell. Well, the Liberty Bell has gone on and it's no longer in the tower there at Constitution Hall. Now they have a special building um, for it to be housed in. And it still hangs by the original yoke from 1751. Most historians say that is the original yoke holding the bell. And I thought it was fascinating. The yoke is made out of American elm, which is also known as slippery elm. And I thought, how appropriate, because freedom is so slippery. It's easy for it to slip through your fingers and you forget you're free. You're not enslaved to the past by rituals, traditions, laws, your failures. We forget that we are free. You're so blessed to live in America, but even more blessed to live in the midst of God's grace that says you are free to choose. Jesus was going to have to create that spirit within the disciples if they were going to go forward. Secondly, that day Jesus was giving them a, a vision of what does it mean to be a part of something bigger than yourself. When the disciples had come to America, when the disciples had, had had this opportunity now to go out and make a difference, it was very different from what they had come to Jerusalem about. When they had come to Jerusalem, they wanted to establish the kingdom of Israel because they wanted to sit at the right hand and left hand of Jesus. It really was about me. I want the power. I want the glory. I want wealth. If we can establish the kingdom, they were arguing among each other. Who gets position? And now Jesus was saying, I'm sending you out into the world. To the world, not to Jerusalem, to the world. To teach them all that I've commanded you. 
into the world to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it won't be about your glory. It's about going out to share the gospel. And in the end, we believe that almost every disciple would be martyred. Are you willing to give your life for something greater than yourself? You know, I love Orville and Wilbur Wright. You know, I love flying and aviation. And Orville and Wilbur are such fascinating stories. These brothers from Dayton, Ohio, who got interested in flying. And you know that it was on December the 17th, 1903. They're in the sandy dunes of Kitty Hawk. They created this little bi-wing airplane, created a little runway of two-befores, and, and they got their airplane, first time ever, and a craft heavier than air under its own power would take off and fly. It flew for about 14 seconds. We don't know exactly because the guy who was supposed to click the stopwatch was in such shock he forgot to hit stop. <laughs> he just stood there watching it fly till it touched down. We think it's about 14 seconds. Flew about 120 feet, 31 miles an hour. First time in history for it to fly. They flew three more times that day. Then they disassembled it, took it back home. And they thought, okay, we've now got to get a patent on this thing and we've got to improve it to make it a commercially viable thing. So they came back to Dayton. They would work for the next five years until 2008 when they finally said, we got it. It was their third rendition, Wright Flyer 3. They felt they got this, we can make some money on this. So they started telling people, we can fly. And people said, you're a liar. We can fly. You're a fraud. We can fly. Are you interested? Our government wasn't all that interested. But the French were interested. And so Wilbur packed up the right flyer in boxes, headed over to Europe, went to Le Mans, France. There he reassembled it. And finally, on a day when he felt the weather was right and he was ready, he called for a number of people. A few men came out to watch. He turned his ball cap around the other way, started the engines, went down the runway, lifted off, circled around over the trees, under wonderful control, came back over the grandstand and landed where he took off. And people were stunned. They rushed the plane. They're shouting. They're wanting to kiss him. The next day, the headlines in the newspaper, right by flight shows his might. They were going, we are infants. These men control the skies. I mean, suddenly they were blown away. The next time there was 1,000 people, then 5,000, then 10,000, people began to believe. Back home, Orville finally got a demonstration flight near the capital. He had a passenger, a man named Thomas Selfridge. He was a lieutenant in the Army. You could have two fly on the right flyer. They went up and were flying, and the propeller disintegrated. When the propeller disintegrated, there had two propellers, but now it was so out of balance, the vibrations became violent, the rudder came off, the plane went into a crash, and Thomas Selfridge became the first passenger to be killed in a plane crash. Orville was seriously injured, broken hip, leg, 
lacerations, ribs. For three days, they didn't know if he was going to live or die. They finally realized he was going to make it, and he went into rehabilitation. He got stronger, and he and his sister decided to go to Europe to be with Wilbur. But you know, the question everybody was asking, are the Wright brothers going to continue to fly? I mean, one of them almost died. It's easy to see how dangerous. Do you think they will continue to fly? It was about a month after the accident that Wilbur, who was in Europe, gave a speech. And I want to read you what he said. I sometimes think that the desire to fly after the fashion of birds is an ideal handed down to us by our ancestors. Scarcely ten years ago, all hopes of flying had almost been abandoned. Even the most convinced had become doubtful. And I confess that in 1901, I said to my brother Orville that men would not fly for another 50 years. Two years later, we ourselves were making flights. This demonstration of my inability as a prophet gave me such a shock I have ever since distrusted in myself and refrained from all predictions of the future. But it's not really necessary to look too far into the future. We see enough already to be certain that it will be magnificent. Only let us hurry and open the roads. We see enough already to be certain that it will be magnificent. Only let us hurry and open the roads. Orville and Wilbur believed that flying was one of the most important events in history, which is what historians will tell us. And what most people didn't understand was Orville and Wilbur several years before had talked about this, and they wrote in their diary and said, we will never fly together. So that if one of us crashes and dies, the other one will continue on. They had already understood the danger. And if one of us crashes and dies, the other will continue on. To give yourself to something bigger than yourself. The disciples would go forward and they would die. And another disciple would step up. It's when you and I give ourselves to something bigger than ourselves that you start to find meaning, that you start to find purpose. It's where you'll find joy. If they were going to have a new vision of the future, they had to remember that they were free. And they had to understand, they had to give themselves to more than who gets to sit at the right hand and the left hand. Is it something bigger than yourself? Go forward. And so third, if Jesus was going to cast them a new vision on that day, then the disciples had to remember they had this incredible gift of imagination. And that it's through that gift of imagination that God can inspire us of what the future can look like. To ask yourself the question, wouldn't it be great if, and you let God's Holy Spirit help fill in that blank, wouldn't it be great if, your gift of imagination, when you understand that you are free, 
and you want to give yourself to something bigger than yourself, and you're willing to dream and use that gift of imagination, God will help cast a vision for a new future, and you can help create a new world. You know, I believe the book by Antoine entitled Being Mortal, um, Medicine and in the End What Matters, is a book that I'm soon going to have as required reading for every member of St. Luke's. Um, if you've read it already, you understand. If you haven't, I encourage you to. It'll make you think. It's, it's a good book, Being Mortal. And in the book, he tells the story, though, of a man named Bill Thomas, a friend of his, Dr. Bill Thomas. Back in 1991, he had just graduated from a residency in family medicine, and he was looking for a position. He wanted quality of life, and so he decided he wanted to go to upstate New York to be in the woods and go outside. And there was a place at the Chase Memorial Nursing Home looking for a medical director. And so he took that job. And this nursing home was already known as a very successful nursing home. Patient safety, cleanliness, profitability. But they were always wanting to do better. His boss, uh, Rick, was always interested in that. And so after he had been there for a little while, he came to some opinions. He saw how people were just kind of lifeless. And Bill felt like it's because they were bored, they were hopeless, they were lonely. And so he went to Rick and said, I got some ideas. I want us to apply for a grant from the state and try something new and see if we can't improve the quality of life, create a new world here. They said, fine, we'll call the board together. They called them in. There was five people sitting around a table. They said, okay, what do you want? And Bill said, the first thing, I want to take out all the artificial plants and I want to bring in live plants. Okay, we'll ask for money for live plants. And secondly, I think we need to put in gardens and flowers and all these growing things outside. Okay, we'll ask for money to put in all the growing live things outside. Next, I think we need to bring in animals. Animals? What are you talking about? I mean, you know the law, you can have one dog or one cat. But what do you want to bring in? He goes, well, I, I want to bring in two dogs. Two dogs? The law says one. Let's ask for two. Fine, write down two dogs. But you know, Bill said, not everybody likes dogs. I think we also need to get a cat. A cat? Yeah, you're already asking for two dogs. I know, but I want a cat. Fine, we'll write down a cat. Actually, I want four cats. Four cats? Well, we, we got two floors. Yeah, we need four cats. You're never going to get this grant. Can we ask? Fine. Write down four cats. Bill said, in the wintertime, when you go out in the woods, what's the one thing you don't hear? And Rick thought about it, and he said, chirping birds? Exactly. I want a hundred parakeets. <laughs> what? You want two dogs, four cats, and a hundred parakeets? They will never approve that. Can we at least ask? Fine, fine. We'll ask for a hundred parakeets. They went to the state. They presented it. They said, we also want to have a child care for our workers, and we want to have an after-school program for elementary school children. We want to bring life into this place. And lo and behold, the state agreed. 
they gave them the funding for a two-year experiment. And they said, okay, do you want to kind of roll this in slowly, bring in a dog, bring in a cat, bring in a parakeet? And Bill said, no, 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 I believe in shock therapy. <laughs> so on one day, they started hauling out all the artificial plants and bringing in live plants and digging up outside for gardens and for flowers. They brought in the two dogs. They brought in four cats. The man came by to deliver 100 parakeets. The one thing they forgot to order was cages. <laughs> so the man arrived with the 100 parakeets and he thinks, I got to get out of here. I got to keep moving. So he went into the beauty salon and there he let all the parakeets out and closed the door and left. That afternoon, the cages arrived and the residents were standing out in the hall rolling in laughter as they watched the staff go into the beauty salon to try to catch a hundred parakeets to put them into their cages. They caught them and do you know that within one week Every parakeet had been adopted and named. Within two months, it was easy to see. In two months, the results were known. The people who did not speak were talking. The people who could not walk were coming to the nurse's station saying, Can I walk the dog? Two years into it, they begin to check the results. And here's what they found. The number of prescriptions written per patient at Chase Memorial was down 50%. The most drug that was no longer prescribed was a drug for agitation. The cost of drugs at Chase Memorial was down 62%. The number of deaths at Chase Memorial were down 15%. A new life, a new world had been created where people felt engaged and alive because a young man decided we can be free of all these rules and restrictions and traditions we're going to give ourselves to something bigger than ourselves. For all these people in their life, let's dream a different place. That's what Jesus was trying to ask out of his disciples. Use this gift of imagination that I have given you to dream. Let the Holy Spirit inspire you. Remember you are free. Give yourself to something bigger than yourself. Go into all the world teaching them all that I have commanded you, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I promise to be with you always. Don't be afraid. Because Easter, you get another chance. Go forward. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.
Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.